The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? These are the words of a young shepherd reflecting on the goodness of his God, and perhaps even writing them while tending to his own sheep. He knew what it meant to be a devoted shepherd of a flock of helpless sheep, and he recognized how gracious and faithful his good shepherd was for him. And today we take a look at our final teen titan, a young shepherd poet who would go on to become one of the most famous people in all of Scripture. And if you know your Bible, you know who this is. This is, of course, David who would slay a giant, Goliath, who would succeed Saul to become the king of Israel and lead them to prosper as they pursued the Lord under his leadership. And you can read all about his story in First and Second Samuel. And the early years of his life in particular appear in First Samuel 16 through 20. But we're not going to go through the narrative section of David's story today in much detail. I will mention a couple of things about him from 1 Samuel 16, but as I prayed on how to tackle David, who is just a monumental, how do you preach on David in one little sermonette, right? I prayed and I asked the Lord, okay, what do we want to focus on? And what I was led to was just to preach through some of his psalms. Some of the psalms that he wrote while, most likely, he was a young shepherd. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple of his psalms, and we're going to start in Psalm 19. And as you turn to Psalm 19, I'm going to pray. Our Father, we praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for your servant, David, who we can study today and learn from. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and malleable in your hands. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill me and speak through me. That your words would touch all of our hearts and encourage us, Lord, to be a worshiper like David was. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we know from 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, that David was 30 years old when he became the king of Israel. But that's the only indication we have of how old he was uh, up to that point. We don't really know how old he was at all during any of the events that happened prior to his becoming king. Most scholars believe that David was in his teens 
when we first read about him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we know that he was the youngest of eight sons. And we know that he was the shepherd of his family's small little flock of sheep. Which also likely means that his family was not very wealthy. Since they had to make one of their sons do the job of a servant. Scripture tells us that David was a handsome young man with beautiful eyes and a ruddy complexion. Scripture also tells us that David was a powerful warrior. That even at a young age, he was able to defeat lions and bears who came against his flock of sheep. But he wasn't just all brawn. He also was a musician. He was a poet. In fact, he was renowned for this, being called to King Saul when Saul was afflicted so that he could soothe him with his music and with his words of worship. His father was Jesse, who is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. You remember Ruth, perhaps, from earlier in the summer when we went through our Wonder Woman series. She was an amazing woman of God. Jesse is the grandson of Ruth, and of course, that makes David the great-grandson of Ruth. But it seems that despite all of these amazing gifts that the Lord blessed David with, Jesse didn't think too highly of his youngest son. When Samuel, the prophet, came to anoint one of the sons of Jesse, Jesse kind of didn't even remember David and had the other seven sons go before Samuel first, and then kind of dismissively said, oh yeah, I got one more shepherd boy out in the field. I'm paraphrasing. You can read it for yourself in 1 Samuel 16. But Samuel, he came and he anointed David to be the king of Israel at a very young age. And we don't know if David knew what that anointing meant, but we know that David was chosen because of what the Lord saw in his heart. When selecting which of Jesse's sons to anoint, the Lord reminded Samuel by saying, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So what did the Lord see when he looked at David's heart? I would put before you today that what the Lord saw in David was a humble heart of worship, heart of worship. He was a young man who was in awe of the holiness and majesty of our God, who trusted him no matter what. And we already read through Psalm 23 where we see the amazing trust and dependence that David had for God as his good shepherd. The rest of our time, as I said, we're going to look briefly at three of the other psalms that David likely wrote while he was a young shepherd boy. And each one showing us what is coming out of this young man's heart. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the songs that David wrote were a reflection of what was in his heart. Now, as I've said, we don't really know how old David was when the events in his early life 
transpired, and so we can't pinpoint with certainty when he wrote these psalms either. But many scholars believe they were written while he was young because they lack the distress and angst and hurt of the psalms that he wrote in his later years. These psalms depict the heart of a young man who had yet to experience deep grief or sorrow or extended pain or fear or betrayal. A young man who who didn't know the weight of the cares of this world. But what they show us is the core of who David was. And that core is what allowed him to get through all of the trials and through all of the ups and downs that he would face throughout the rest of his life when he did experience grief and sorrow and pain and betrayal and hurt and all of the cares of this world. So I don't know about you, but I certainly would like to know what David got through, helped David get through those times, wouldn't you? And so I would submit again that we see what got him through that was a heart that constantly pursued the Lord in worship. And so as we turn to Psalm 19, we see first and foremost that David was a worshiper of God by day. A worshiper by day. Now, I want to set the stage a little bit for each one of these psalms so we can kind of get in the mindset of David as he wrote them. So I want you to picture a young teenage shepherd boy sitting down on a low hill overlooking his small herd of sheep early in the morning. There's a sling and a staff set down next to him and a small scroll with a portion of Deuteronomy written in it that he'd been meditating upon the night before. His lyre sits at his feet as he leans over and periodically plucks at the strings, coming up with new melodies to put to words. And he has a small journal he's presently writing in as he watches the beautiful sunrise explode over the hills, inspired by the colors of the rising sun and the majesty of the rolling hills around him. And seeing that, these are the words that he writes in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. The young poet is marveling over the glory of God's creation, his thoughts captured in the beauty of the rising sun. And he recognizes that the beauty of creation testifies and speaks forth the glory of its creator. And he writes about how powerful this voice, this testimony is to those who would pay attention to it. And this, of course, Paul picks up on in Romans chapter 1 when Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to everyone because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. David's reflection on the glory of God on display in the beauty of the voice of creation causes him to just praise God. But notice how his reflection on the voice of God in nature quickly moved him to reflect on the voice of God in Scripture. And he recognized how glorious God's spoken word was to those who would meditate upon it and submit to its truth. And so he begins to extol all of the virtues of Scripture for those of us who would value the Word of God and seek to submit to his voice. And then he concludes this psalm by asking the Lord to help him keep his words and his thoughts, the things in his heart, fixed on all of the things of God and to not fall into any sort of sin, especially not presumptuous sins. So what do we see here? And again, we're just kind of skimming the surface. I'm not going very deep with any of these things. What do we see here about the heart of David that the Lord saw and chose to be king? Well, number one, David recognized the beauty and majesty of our God and that his creation constantly testifies to his glory. How many of you can say that you have been in awe of God lately? Some of us, perhaps, yes. Some of us, perhaps, no. Perhaps we haven't taken the time to actually sit back and be in awe of who God is. David could connect with God very clearly in nature. How many of you can do the same? You really connect with God out in nature. 
And that's a beautiful thing. But, but recognize that David's connection with the voice of God didn't end in nature. And if ours ends in nature, I would encourage you, like David, to continue to go deeper into the Lord. You have to press deeper. We can't just end in nature. Nature and the glory of God's voice being testified to there should move us, like David, to Scripture. Because David loved the Word of God. And he allowed the voice of God through nature to move him to Scripture. So much so that he actively prayed for that voice of God to transform his own inner and outer voice. And so... The heart of worship by day from David was one who saw the majesty of God, who loved the word of God, and who wanted the word to be hidden deep in his heart, transforming him at all times to be more and more like his God. That is a heart of worship that God favors, that the Lord blesses. So like David... We need to be worshipers by day who are constantly seeking to be in tune with the voice of God. But David was also a worshiper by night. And so if you turn over to Psalm 8, turn back a couple of pages to Psalm 8, we'll read David's worship by night. And this time, I want us to picture our young teen titan laying down in the low grass at the top of one of the rolling hills after the sun has long set. The cold evening begins to press in, and his sheep are nestled in around him, preparing to sleep for the night. As David lies there, he looks up at the beautiful cloudless sky, and there's no light pollution to obscure any of the beauty. Only the piercing brilliance of thousands of stars. And the looming presence of the full moon glowing in dazzling white as it reflects the glow of the sun. As he gazes up at the night sky, he's overwhelmed with how small he is in the scheme of God's giant creation. Yet, he remembers how much his God loves him. And he's moved to write the following in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor." You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
Amen? This time our young poet is overwhelmed, overcome by how big our God is and how small we are. He's in awe of the reality that our God has created the entirety of the universe, the stars and the moon and everything in between. Our God is mighty and an overwhelming figure when we think of the massiveness of his creation. And then when we consider ourselves next to him, we can't help but be faced with our insignificance. How many of us have been attacked by the enemy with feelings of insignificance, of purposelessness, of inferiority, of loneliness, of alone, being alone? How could a God that big care about me? It's so easy for the enemy to get us to hear and believe his lies that we have been forgotten, that we've been set aside. You all know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced those lies, those attacks? Yet our teen titan doesn't dwell on these lies of the enemy. He recognizes that even though our mighty God is powerful and and more significant than we could possibly understand, holy and set apart. He also knows that our God loves us and knows each one of us individually and has called each of us to a special purpose and place in his kingdom. Another of David's psalms, Psalm 139, captures this truth We're not going to go over it now. I would encourage you, write it down, read it. If you are being attacked by the enemy in this way, go and read Psalm 139. And be reminded that the Lord has a special plan and purpose and knows you intimately, uniquely. Knows every single one of us that way. Church, our God is bigger than we can imagine And we are nothing compared to him, it's true. But praise God that he loves us more than we can imagine. And that he sent his son to die for us. That's how much he loves us. That's what we just celebrated. That's what we remembered together. That even though we have a massive God, he loves us massively. And that is good news, amen? David saw that, and he recognized that our God has a place and a plan and a purpose for every single one of us to do work and to experience his love in amazing ways. Let me echo Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 for us. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. David was a worshiper of God by night and was filled with all the fullness of God, knowing how much he was loved. And he didn't even have the privilege of knowing what Christ did for him like we do. I mean, we can look back on that and rejoice and sing hallelujah that our Lord and Savior has made a way for us to be called children of God. Amen? Recognize how much our God loves us and be worshipers of God by night. And finally, in Psalm 29, we have our final little vignette where we see our teen titan is a worshiper of God in the storm. Now, in this scene, I want us to imagine our young poet watching the western horizon as a powerful thunderstorm gathers over the waters of the Mediterranean. The sky slowly darkens around him as the wind whips up and the smell of rain fills the air. As small, light raindrops begin to fall, slow at first, but with increasing force, increasing force, our poet looks out in awe as the storm overtakes him with flashes of lightning and booming thunder all around. He reaches out and stills his flock of sheep and keeps them from fleeing in fear. As the storm rages around him for a while, he sits still and waits, remembering who is in control until the tempest travels past him and on into the distance. And he continues to watch the flashes of lightning and hears the echoing thunder in the distance as he takes out his journal and begins to write the words of Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen? How many of you, not just know, 
but have experienced the reality that our journey of faith takes us through many storms. I mean, this isn't a surprise, of course. Jesus told us this in his last words to most of his disciples before he was crucified. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will go through storms. It will happen. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, there are two ways that we can respond when we are in the midst of storms. We can respond with despair and hopelessness or or anger and blame. When we see the crashing lightning and hear the roaring thunder and are overwhelmed by the driving winds and rains. We can be overwhelmed with fear or blame. Or, number two, with a settled confidence we can wait, trusting that our God is in control. In the midst of this storm, David looked to the Lord every single time he heard the crashing of the thunder around him. If, if I were you, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 29, I'd circle the seven times that you see the phrase, the voice of the Lord. That's the thunder booming around him. Each one of those are echoing the power of God and the strength of the storm shaking young David. And what did David do every time this power manifested itself? He looked to God and drew strength and confidence as he worshipped our mighty king despite the storm raging around him. The heart of the worshiper knows that it's going to go through storms. Church, we cannot be surprised when those things come, when things don't go the way that we've planned, when our life begins to crumble, at least so we think. The heart of the worshiper expects that to happen and is able to wait in the midst of that and continue to look to the Lord, not being overwhelmed. And you know what? We may be afraid. We may have stress and anxiety. And that's okay for a time. That's normal. The key is that we don't stay there. We don't stay anxious and fear-ridden. We don't stay angry and blaming God. We can confess that the Lord understands, praise God, and be moved past that back to a heart of worship, trusting and knowing that he is in control. Let the storm drive us to seek the Lord so that just like David, we can find him in the midst of the storm and be filled with courage, be filled with confidence as we call out to him to give us strength and power through the storm, just as David did at the end of this psalm. 
David worshipped the Lord through the storms and sought his refuge and his strength in God alone. That is what was in his heart. And Isaiah 66.2 says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is the heart that the Lord is looking for. That is the heart that God found in this young teen titan. By the grace of God and the power of the Spirit at work within us, let's be people like David who are worshipers of God by day, hearing his voice and loving his word. People who are worshipers of God by night, who are in awe of his majesty and holiness, but also who understand the depths of his love for us. And let's be worshipers of God through the storms. That no matter what may come, we would be able to draw courage and confidence and strength knowing that our God is in control and walking with us every step of the way. This is what our teen titan did. This is what the Lord saw in his heart. And by the grace of God, let's seek to be people who are being transformed by the Spirit to have the same heart of worship no matter what the circumstance. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.